so we did a Comic-Con podcast where we talked to um, our friends Michaela and Emily about all things Comic-Con, and I started talking about The Killing Joke and it, with Taylor, and it went so long that we decided to pull it out and <laughs> have just a Killing Joke podcast. So this is that podcast that you're about to hear, which yes. is just us talking about The Killing Joke. So I guess to jump in, first and foremost, and, and, and because you were there, there was a Killing Joke panel. And for those of you at home who are like, Killing Joke, the, the graphic novel that came out you know, 25-ish years ago is finally being adapted into an animated series, much like they did The Dark Knight Returns, which you know, that was a two-part uh, little mini, you know, two-part animated series that was really, really, really good. I think a lot of people universally are just like, no, man, if it was going to happen, that, that, they nailed it. So I think there was a lot of the same kind of fervor or anticipation for the killing joke even though it's I think not so. it's, it's you know a lot of people it's not their favorite story in the way that dark knight returns is but it has kevin conroy and mark hamill coming back as batman and joker respectively so that was exciting and it's just you know it's one of those books where they they had the ability to because it was you know it was shorter they could pad it out a little bit more for a 90 minute movie um they could do a little bit more and kind of delve into that so i i for one was excited um, and was actually kind of looking forward to this. However, and you you were there, so you know. <laughs> I, I, ground, went I, <laughs> I went on IO9, and like all of a sudden, everybody's like, holy the fuck. What, uh, uh, it, it all just went off the rails, apparently. Well, and yeah. I'll, I'll say this. It started before the con. Somebody had posted on Twitter. I don't know how this leaked or how this got out, but there was a yeah. video, a clip of Barbara yeah, Gordon. Spoil it. Don't spoil exactly don't, what happens. Don't say what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, there was a clip. There was a clip of Barbara Gordon as Batgirl interacting with Batman. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> and it was not something you would ever expect to happen. And it left you. It left me feeling kind of like, huh. And and if you know anything about the Killing Joke story really 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 confusing <laughs> as far as why they would think that was a, a, an appropriate choice so that had Honestly, come out that is the question that comes up every 10 minutes in the movie is why did you think that was the appropriate choice right there can we should we should we say what it is in that clip i mean it's public if you want to go see what it is well i think there's just such a i mean the only reason i was saying don't spoil it is because there's such an interesting build up to this so it wasn't like a shit show on the floor as soon as the panel started. Okay, give, um, give us and even the, even a back up a second from that because what um you know what we talked to uh, my friend Michaela about was her experience in Hall H. So for a couple of years, my friends and I have gone to these uh, later night showings. Um, we saw Batman Year One a few years ago, mm. and they're in Ballroom Twenty, which is the second biggest hall in the convention mm. center. It seats um, something like forty two hundred. Hall H is six thousand. Wow. So it's a really big deal, uh, and there's definitely a timing to this. So there was this thing before this started, The Killing Joke, <clears throat> you know, famous graphic novel written by Alan Moore, mm -hmm. um, illustrated by Brian, oh my God. Bowling? Uh, yeah. And uh, a, um, so there was a big deal because it, there's some very graphic, uh, the story is graphic. Uh, Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, is shot by the Joker. Um uh, paralyzing. paralyzing her, which DC decided to turn into continuity, into canon, um, and put it in the continuity of the story. Um, 
and at least what I've read is that Alan Moore kind of feels feels bad about this story now. Like he thinks. It's oh, really? Um, I yeah, know. I did read that comment in some of the aftermath of this. Like, I don't know that he's totally disavowed it, but like you, I was sort of anticipating it because I thought I, it had been a long time since I read The Killing Joke. It was not fresh in my mind on how graphic it is because he also sexually assaults her. Yeah, um, yeah. And, well, and let's keep this in mind. Book, he, I don't really remember if it's just that he takes photos of her in order to disturb her father later. That or is definitely if he the case. Actually, sexually assaults her. I think it's implied. He definitely takes the photos. And let's and let's kind of back up to the the crux of the story is, the Joker tra- is trying to prove to Batman that one bad day can ruin a man. So yeah. while he's pursuing this sort of this sort of bad day, uh, you know, giving Jim Gordon just the worst day ever to see, you know, he's trying to break Jim Gordon. Right. This is juxtaposed with sort of the history of the Joker, where the guy who is the you know how did that guy become the Joker? And it, yeah. you know, for him, it was just one bad day that just all came together, juxtaposed to this. But the big kind of the big twist that Grant Morrison sort of shed a big light on a couple of years ago was at the very end of the book. And spoilers, if you haven't read the book, please go go check it out or, or maybe check it out with this in mind because it's not entirely clear. But Batman kills the Joker like he's holding the Joker's neck and they're laughing and there's this there the, 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 the laughing just suddenly stops and the rain keeps falling and the cops are showing up. And it's like, you know, once Grant Morrison s- said that, he's like, you know, they're, what, they're, that's the only way you can take it. But they left it ambiguous so that it doesn't have to be. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it was brilliant. It's a really – and you think about – you think about it in the in the course of the story. The Joker's trying to prove one bad day can can break a man. And instead of breaking Jim Gordon, he breaks Batman. He Batman yeah. does what he's never meant, you know, what he's never going to do. And so you're like, holy shit. So all of this would, would, I, I, I would love to have seen explored in, in nuanced ways. And I mean, I thought an animated series would have yeah, been appropriate. None of that. Get, you, you don't get any of that. So, oh, God, um, yeah, really? so maybe, well, maybe I'll cover so wait, the ballroom 20 experience some other time. I'm I'll confused. No, wait though. I'm confused. I, you actually saw it. Oh yeah. So this was. Oh my the, god! I didn't know this that. was oh, the wow. world premiere of the Killing Joke. Oh, I thought there was just a panel you went to. Ooh, I didn't. Oh nope. my goodness. Okay. So okay. So the way they did it was they had a because it was R rated. Um, they ran this one a little bit later than they normally do. The start time was nine. Okay. But they only started the panel then, so okay. they ran the panel for about fifty minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um. And then they were going to show. Then they showed the movie, and then they said some of the panelists will come back out after the movie for a Q and A. So okay. on the panel um, was the director. I believe his name is Sam Liu, but I, I he literally said like two sentences the entire time. Um, Brian Azzarello, who wrote it, uh, um, uh, <laughs> God. And he's the he's <laughs> the focus of a lot of the sort of shenanigans that, that as he should later. be. Yeah, um, Bruce Tim, who's the animation supervisor, and he's also a, an artist um, for DC, but he's kind of the guy that they all credit with spearheading the, the revival in DC animated mm-hmm. series and stuff like that. Um, and then the cast, Ray Wise and Tara Strong and Kevin Conroy and, uh, and the moderator, whose name I forget. Um, but to kick it off, the moderator gets a phone call and is like, oh, sorry, my phone's ringing, and he holds the phone up to the mic and it's Hamill himself. Mark uh, Hamill? Yeah, uh, Mark Hamill in the Joker's voice going like, I'm here. Nice. And, uh, of course, he was so off he, filming Star Wars, so he couldn't, 
couldn't be there. Yeah, yeah, it was, and it was great too. They had this good line during the panel of um, how usually they have recorded all of the animated series and even uh, the other movies all in the same room, like the voice actors acting them out on a soundstage. And oh, how great it's wow. been to interact with everyone. That's a big thing that Warner has done, um, you know, to make Holy this comfortable crap. for them. Yeah, and that. Hamill couldn't do he couldn't do it for the Killing Joke um, because he was on the Star Wars set. And the moderator points out, like, I find it interesting to you know to that he couldn't do his voice acting with you because he was in a movie where he literally said nothing at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, the so the main I mean the problem I would say like. Uh, I can't say that you know my suspicions went up necessarily during the panel, mm-hmm. but I, it was laid on so thick about how emotional and heavy and wonderful this movie is. Mm-hmm. That, like literally every person was like, "Oh my god, I can't! I just can't wait for you to see it." It's just so good. I mean, just wow. oh, the just stuff we got from everybody, and it's just so emotional, and the story is so great. And they just kept like one after the other, kept laying it on. To the point where my friends and I were like, you know, you know, kind of bumping each other in the side and going, Jesus Christ, just show the movie already. Like, yeah. you don't need to tell us how good the movie is if we're about to watch the movie. Yeah, so, yeah. Let it speak for so, itself. Yeah, and like you said, um, the graphic novel is pretty short, so they'd always talked about how they're going to pad it out. And in this panel, and this is where I think the trouble starts, is Azarello and uh, Tim both say, well, we knew, you know, Barbara Gordon really doesn't have an arc. In the, in the graphic novel. And so we wanted to give her, her a character arc. So mm-hmm. that's what we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, you know, the TLDR of that is, no, she still doesn't have an arc. They mm-hmm. tacked on a Batgirl story at the beginning, and then the, the killing joke happens, mm-hmm. and that's it. And mm-hmm. then there's an after-credit sequence where she in a wheelchair rolls up like, into a secret computer lab and she is, you know, becoming Oracle. But as I've seen already commented on online, like, this doesn't, you know, setting her up as Oracle in this 10-second scene or less mm-hmm. doesn't make the bad choices of the killing joke worth it. Well, can we jump into, I mean, can we can we say exactly so, the, the, I mean, spoilers, sure. spoilers, spoilers. If you don't, if you don't want to know, stop listening. Um, go yeah, watch. Yeah, and we're gonna spoil back. everything. I've already spoiled things. I yeah, guess, but I mean, saying she becomes Oracle, in, but yeah, but she's most of it's in the books. I mean, but and this this is something brand new that uh, hasn't really been explored at all in the DC universe. Well, um, there's so there's a couple things online where um, Bruce Tim, I guess, wrote this into a, a Batman Beyond story. Uh, so. Not that it let's was say, canon in that aspect. First, let's yeah. say what it is. So what happens, and what's what's present in this clip that got shared before the con is, Barbara Gordon makes out with Batman and then has sex with him. Yeah, Batgirl and, has sex with Batman. And you're supposed to believe mentor. that she's that mentor, and like she's supposed to be the same age as Robin in a lot of the the canon. She's, so it's, she's a little older than Robin because there's definitely like I mean I'm just not the not the devil's advocate this too much, but She's definitely sort of the the in betweener. Like you know, Robin's the little kid that has a crush on her, and she's always like pushing him away. Like, come on, kid. Uh, okay. But, okay. You know, okay. later on in the comics, when he grows up and he's Nightwing, I mean, there's definitely a thing between them. In fact, I'm pretty sure in the last um, run of Batgirl that they sort of acknowledged that they previously had a relationship. 
Oh, that um, makes sense. That's perfect. Because then it's like, oh, here's this kid who, you know, kind of like Anakin Skywalker, who had this crush on this girl and grew up to a strapping young man. And they went off, you know, and they had a little thing. For for Batman, it's like the creepy college or high school professor had, you know, getting it on with a student. It's like, what is this? Like, this is... But literally everything else leading up to that is so... I, I, I mean, it's not like I sat there going, this is dumb. I really sat there going, I don't know what's going on. Because I had heard some stuff about how they wanted to take the art really seriously and they really wanted to capture the spirit of the comic book. Uh, In my eyes, no. It looks exactly like every other Batman animated thing, which is, uh, in my mind, childish. Yeah. It looks almost like a kid's cartoon. Not really? Not totally, like a, not totally a kid's cartoon, but to have that with the R rating... Yeah. And and the content did not work for me. I mean, mm-hmm. it should have been grittier. It should have been more adult. It should have like given the the signal of the art should have been that this is grown up important material. But Batgirl looks like you know. I mean, I know we're talking about cartoons here, but if Batman looks like he's in his thirties or forties yeah. in the cartoon, yeah. she looks like she's fifteen. Oh god! You know, I mean, she it's wow. like a tiny, tiny little girl. And in fact, that clip that leaked on YouTube, which is still up there, I found it yesterday. You can see it. It it starts out with her fighting him, and the, just the way they've drawn their bodies. I mean, she is this diminutive little girl, and he is this you know giant broad shoulders. Oh, so man. strange. Um, so did you? I mean, did, but it's even leading up. Like so, the the story, the arc that they gave her is this other bad guy, this sort of son of a gangster who wants to take over his father's gang, who is I am not even kidding you, named Paris Franz. Oh my god. So it's like it starts out being corny uh, like a children's cartoon. You wow. know, and there's some explanation and even like, like you know Batgirl when Batman tells her that Batgirl goes, "You're kidding, right?" But it's but you know in my brain I'm going like, "No, you're kidding, right?" Like <laughs> <laughs> like isn't that what I'm supposed to be asking Brian Azzarello? Like It's like Rocky Horror Picture Show like the audience starts participating and yelling at the screen right, and like it's ridiculous props and stuff. When so you know there's I don't know that I can say there was a groan at that point, but when Batgirl actually, uh, you know, is in this fight with Batman, I mean, he's literally just told her off, like, you need to stop investigating this case, you haven't been pushed to the edge yet, you don't, you know, this guy is, he's he's dangerous, you don't know what you're getting into, etc. Batman's just put her down and and put her in in her place as his student, as his, Mm -hmm. you know, as his uh, manatee, as uh, Tracy Jordan calls those he mentors, <laughs> um, and he, uh, so he has dismissed her in the like harshest possible terms. Yeah, and yeah. she <clears throat> starts a fight with him, which he initially is like dodging her punches and not letting her land when he's not returning, um, and then she gets a couple in, like you know by surprise, and flips him. A little judo flip, and then she's on top of him, and she just starts kissing him. He grabs her ass. She pulls her top off, and it's like fade to black, and you're going – I mean, the audience reaction was not, oh, like it was laughter. This oh, is like wow. 4,200 people laughing in surprise that wow. this stupid thing was happening on the screens in front of us. Wow. You know, this was not – it was not – there. nothing that, you know, came before that made anyone think this was the right moment for that to happen. It was so cliched in that way of like, you know, if you think of an action movie where, you know, two characters, you know, the two action people are 
uh, fighting each other, and then it turns kind of romantic or something. I mean, yeah, you, can, yeah, yeah. you can easily see, like, I just watched Ant-Man again, that scene where uh, Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd are, like, she's teaching him, and she kind of does a flip on him. You can see in, like, it's it's so hackneyed now that they didn't do it in Ant-Man, but, you know, ten years ago, they would have done it, where they she would have flipped him, and they would have ended up kissing or something. And Well, and hackneyed, hackneyed so, as it is, they are the same age, so it's... Right, it makes... right. There's no weird... And, I mean, I guess you're supposed to go, oh, well, it's Batgirl... Uh, being a powerful uh, agent of her own, you know, destiny or whatever. But what does she do afterwards? She goes and sobs to, I'm not kidding, her stereotypical gay friend at the library. Whoa. Like, it is wow. the worst stereotype of Holy a gay friend. You know, this shit. guy that's like, you know, just with a a, a fey accent and, oh, and, you know, come no. on, sister, you're preaching to the choir or whatever. Whoa. Um, she's been commiserating with him about her older male friend and so throughout the prelude you're thinking well he's interpreting this as a, a sexual relationship and she's really just telling him about her mentor relationship you know that would so, be okay and, see, and I would right. so it was like a joke at that point yeah. I almost forgave the sort of stereotypical um you know, uh, stereotype of him because it was. I, I thought the joke was, well, he's misinterpret. They're pl they're overplaying this character because he's misinterpreting the relationship. But then that happens, and it turns into like, uh, what is this like a terrible rejected Will and Grace script or something? Oh, I don't know yeah. what's going on. So there was the laughter at um, Batgirl having sex with Batman, which okay. was you know I felt like this is where this is where the audience I hoped. Was sort of like, I, I well basically at that moment I was no longer on their side. Yeah. And not that it was uh, exploitative in that moment, but yeah. it just showed that like the you know the art first of all was the big was the big problem to me was that if it can looks like you, a child's cartoon. Well, can I ask you, you real quick though? Did you appreciate the art in Dark Knight Returns Part One and Two? I didn't see them. Oh, but like you really this, should. This was the style of Batman Year One, which has been the style all along. Yeah. Um, and my friends afterwards, when I talked to it, and I, you know, talked to them about it, and said, "I don't get the hype about the art." They said it was more about the framing of it. That mm. there were there were certain you know shots that were focused on the Joker's face, for example, that were like basically framed right out of the graphic novel. Okay. But to me, that didn't really make a difference because it still looked. Like a kid's cartoon, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, a little bit smarter, but not gritty and dark. Yeah. And like I said, Batgirl looked like she was like 15. And so there was the, there was the gay friend problem, this, this horrible stereotype. Ugh. And then this Batgirl sort of, uh, I, I don't know what the trope is. I, I, you know, it's not a damsel in distress, but she was a, a pining, lovelorn, you know, sort of uh, little girl kind of that thing. Like it really diminished imagine. her role. Imagine if she was a smart, competent, like, you know, early 20s, like, you know, she's she's Batman's prized pupil, you know? And, and if, like, she were, she, if she were almost acting like I, like his equal. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like when he talks down to her and says, no, get out of this. It's not like, like she's, there's been this whole prelude about, you know, she's told us, uh, I've been working with him for three years at this point and blah, blah, blah. So I, I, you know whether that gives her enough experience to like to say, hey, stop, you know, 
trying to pigeonhole me and stop trying to protect me. Yeah. Um, I'm Batgirl. But there was never a moment where she stood up to Batman. She just got so worked up that she lashed out at him in this fight and then ends up having sex oh, with him. It just God. did not – and I cannot stress enough, n this wouldn't have even been as problematic if I hadn't listened to 45 minutes of these guys telling me how awesome this movie was and how they'd given Batgirl a story where Alan Moore hadn't. And, like, there's the, been the criticism for decades that Alan Moore wrote The Killing Joke uh, it's a Batman story, and Batgirl is an object in it. You know, she mm. is not a a a person with agency in that story. Yeah. And so, for the creators of this to try to rectify that by giving her this, you know, this lovelorn. It's almost like they doubled down on that motif. Yeah. Like she's and and, and then they like and then obviously what went wrong after the showing was they got called out on that and Azarello tripled down on it and called. Well, let's let's wait wait wait. Yeah, so, we'll get so to that. I'm sorry. The movie the movie ends and so the, well to take you through the rest of the movie at that point. So then it's it almost like does like a uh, oh, oh oh the one the one more notable moment the uh, there's a a scene where Batgirl is like on top of a building and she decides to check in with Batman. She hasn't heard from him since they had sex and she's told her gay <laughs> friend about this. So she like literally hits the communicator and she's like, you know, what's going on tonight? And he curtly answers her like, I think I found Paris Franz in whatever district. And uh, she, um, you know, and then he tells her and then she's like, listen, I don't know why you're not talking to me. It was just sex, Batman. Uh, and, he go and and he basically gives her this response. I don't remember exactly what it is, like literally, but it was uh, it was along the lines of, uh, "Yeah, I'll call you later." And he just hangs up on her. And there was at that moment, in behind me, a very uh, bro-sounding crowd of like, "Yeah." <laughs> Like Batman, you tell her. Oh my god! <laughs> like almost cheering it, and it was so comical that they would do that, uh, not in a haha way, yeah. but um, my my friend sitting next to me, like made fun of that that thing that happened behind us. He was like, "Yeah, bro, you tell her," you know, in this very jokey way, because it what like we really we were like, "Wait, are you guys joking? Like we're joking, or are you serious that you think it's cool?" Yeah, like you know, are you on the side? Did this turn into like an you know, uh, like you're cheering for Batman for hanging up on for ghosting Batgirl at this point or whatever? It was so stupid. Wow. And so then at that point, it, it, it uh, she meets up with you know Batman at that point has refused her help, and then he gets into a spot where he needs it, and so she turns up as sort of the White Knight, where he's told her to stay away. He's, he's got him down at the docks. And they end up having like a rocket launcher and a sneak attack on him, and he gets severely injured and has to eject from the Batmobile, and he gets shot and he's bleeding. And she shows up and attacks Paris Franz and just beats the shit out of Paris Franz. And there's like, and <laughs> I then, just can't take seriously the term "beat the shit out of Paris Franz." I know, like, I know, <laughs> it's what? so dumb. And, I mean, that's the kind of villain that you'd see in Batman 66, where it's like, uh, you, you just can't get rid of a bomb. You know, it's like, that's, that's you know, and Paris Franz is like this mustache twirling villain. Literally, he's like, I'll get you next, I'll get you next time, Batman. And he like gets in his like hot air balloon and like rockets off. <laughs> I wish he had <laughs> a hot air balloon. Uh, 
I don't know if that would have improved it or made it even worse uh, if they were that tone deaf. And, and to top it all off, like in their in her first encounter with them, there's a scene that almost gets a little like they're he's kind of flirting with her. He's like, "Bad girl, I didn't know you're so hot." Like as they're in this fight, oh and then God. he and then he grabs her from behind. He's got her like pinned in this sort of headlock thing, where this, this vice where he's got her her arm and her neck pinned up. And she has sex with and him too, right then. No. Oh. But it gets to where you're like, I, you know, you didn't really know, like, uh, it, it, they're, they're, they're doing the quips back and forth, the mm. sort of flirty quips. And he says something like, you underestimate me or whatever, and he gasses her. And mm. he says, you've got about 10 seconds. And it's like, it, it really, at that moment, I went, you were kidding me she's not going to be sexually assaulted twice in this movie. Well, and that was in like the first five minutes and she gets away from him that time. Okay. Uh, and that's when, and then Batman shows up to sort of rescue. I got her. really scared for a second. You're going to say, and she did. <laughs> I'm like, no, I mean, but oh. I, you know, this was before she's Jeez. even had sex with Batman. So then, yeah. So then on top of that, uh, you know, for her a few minutes later in the script to have sex with Batman, it felt like this is, I don't, you know, I don't know. It just all felt gross to me. Okay. Well, you know, so so it, the, it felt very tone deaf or whatever. Of like, what story are you telling here? So uh, there were a lot of people like you in the audience, and a lot of journalists, and a lot of yeah. people who were seeing this for the first time. It was the premiere. Yeah, uh, so it was premiere. fans and and you know people, you know, writers and and you know media people in general. And the movie concludes. Was there an applause? Was there just an uncomfortable silence? What was the the reaction? There was definitely applause during the Oracle scene. Uh, so the cr the credits hit, and a huge group of people get up. I, and I saw people leaving during the movie, too, okay. which is kind of shocking to think. You know, you stood in line. You waited through that panel. It's 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and now you're deciding to leave? Well, and it's only, it's only like a 75-minute movie. It's not, it's not even 90 minutes. So these people who are leaving 30 minutes into it I mean, it, you know, it was all after the sex scene, so I assume yeah. they were just like, "This is fucking Whatever, stupid." Man. They didn't want and, to see ruin. So, so, so the movie know, ends, and um, then so there's, there's that, and then they yeah, do so it, this. Like, as soon as the credits roll, tons of people stand up to leave. Then, and the lights even came on, and then the Oracle scene rolls, like right after a quick credits. Okay. So that was the like after that, after it faded, after that, I left. So I didn't see the Q and A that happened afterwards. Well, what had happened, and this is all via what I read on, on io9. On io9. Yeah, they had a really good report on it that everybody's yeah, yeah. Um, Apparently, then they had a Q&A, which was not part of the – I mean, there was the panel before, which is one thing. And they had announced the Q&A before the movie started. Okay, so they were, that was going to happen regardless. So I'm sure yeah. after the movie ended, everybody was raring to go. Um, but this, this – I, I mean, I'm sure a lot of questions got asked and answered that didn't get reported on. But the, the big – kind of the confrontation – that everybody's going to, and it's not just Io9. Bleeding Cool's got a, a good little sort of write-up on it. Um, oh, okay. Was, yeah, so it I was Bleeding Cool. Uh, there, so there was a, a person, a Joker cosplayer, who asked a question, um, and then there was, and then there was a reporter who shouted something after the question yeah. was asked. So, so yeah, so the court, and this is just again according to Io9. Um, uh, is his brand? Oh, so Bruce Tim. It was the bleeding. It was the bleeding cool reporter who shouted. Uh, yeah, who well, shouted well Bruce out. Bruce Tim started explaining what it was. You know why they were expanding her character. Blah blah blah. Um, 
and then let's see here. I'm going looking at the thing now. And then, yeah. uh, oh, here we go. So it was during a Q&A that things got dicey. A Joker cosplayer asked the writers why they would downplay Barbara Gordon um, in the way they did. And according to Bleeding Cool reporter Jeremy Conrad, the writers insisted she was still a strong female character. And then Conrad himself, who'd seen the film and was in the audience with you, uh, shouts out, yeah, by using sex and then pining for Bruce. And then Brian Azzarello, who's on stage, says, want to say that again, pussy? And, right. And then it kind of devolved. And then Azzarello gets on this rant. And Bruce Stan was trying to be more like, you know, political about it. Like, hey, it's, it, it's complicated, you know. And then Azzarello was getting into it uh, with everybody. And it's like they're, you know, they're trying to explain or rationalize, you know, Batman's overreactions or underreactions and all this kind of stuff. And, it's, and let's keep in mind, Azarello has a reputation for being, you know, uh, a little bit outspoken or a little bit, you know, he likes to troll and push buttons here and there. But it just, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, after legitimate concern for them to basically double down on, well, no, that's, you know, this this was correct. Um, I just, I, you know, it's the, the killing joke is like the third rail of comics to adapt you know, yeah. I mean, even more yeah, so than like point. Watchmen or something. It's uh, like we, you know, like we touched on. I, I don't know that Moore disavowed it, but I know he, or at least I've read that he said later he was not totally comfortable, or he made mistakes in his yeah. portrayal of Batgirl, and and yeah, she's just an object for a Batman story. She's not uh, an agent at all in the Killing Joke. Batgirl is not. Yeah. So. For them to say we're gonna we're going to add some stuff that's going to correct that mistake, and then you know again I just cannot stress enough for them to spend forty five goddamn minutes telling us <laughs> how incredible this movie that we're going to see, which is yeah. seventy five minutes, <laughs> yeah, is going yeah. to be like and how they've kind of you know I don't nobody wanted to say they corrected it, but yeah. they wanted to say we made it better. Plus all the all the hype about this that's, you know, gone on. I mean, I, when I went back and looked it up, you know, after I saw it, uh, you know, I found this article from the Mary Sue like months and months ago, maybe even last year, where when it was announced that they were going to add to the Batgirl story arc, the writers were sort of cautiously optimistic. Like, you know, let's let's hope they kind of fill this character out. And she doesn't. After the Paris France story, she, you know, she's at her dad's place. She answers the door. Joker shoots her, kidnaps her dad, uh, sexually assaults her. And that's it. We don't see Barbara Gordon. Like, we see her in the hospital, like, for the scenes in the hospital, but it's not like there's any agency there at all. There's no arc. So this idea that they're, like, when they're telling us that, that, like, we gave her an arc, I I'm going, do you know what an arc is? It's not, <laughs> it's not like, you, you know, yeah, there was yeah, a yeah. story at the beginning, oh, uh, and, then, and then there was a different story, and then there was a little ending tacked on, but there's no arc this character didn't, like, you know, grow of her own accord or anything like that. I mean, they have some, you know, they have some clever lines about getting taken to the edge, you know, and, and so you realize, like, oh, well, you know, Batman was taken to the edge because he watched his parents murdered in front of him, and then, you know, she's taken to the edge because she almost murders Paris Franz, but, like, then this awful thing happens to her. Uh, she doesn't get to be the agent of her own revenge or anything, and yeah. then on top of that... Batman pretty definitively does not kill the Joker in the movie. Oh, really? So they and actually on, leave that 
And on top of that, Tim, Bruce, Tim, and Brian Azzarello tell this stupid story in the panel on how oh they had this big meeting after some Comic Con where all the people like talked about like well, how do you think it ends? What what happens after that last panel? And they go around. We don't know how to end this film, and we got to figure out a way to end this film. We can't leave it in the same way. And then months later, yes, they could. They totally should have done that. Months later, Azzarello pulls Bruce Tim aside. At some conventions, like, I talk to you outside where it's quiet. I know how this thing's going to end. And he tells him, and Bruce Tim goes, yep, that's it. And all they do is just laugh, like uh, Batman and the Joker. Uh, Joker tells this terrible joke, and Batman starts laughing with him. And that's how it It's like, guys, you have totally missed... <laughs> I, I just I just don't know how to describe wow. it. Wow, it just sounds like a tone deafness. Like like even Brian Bolin in like the uh, when they so so they a couple years ago or however long they redid the Killing Joke, they basically recolored it. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of controversy about that. I for one love the new colorization. I understand why people love the original, but I think the newer one fits in the Batman world better. It just it's grittier and darker and just kind of has that. T- so I I take to it a lot more. Um, but both exist, and you can enjoy either or neither. But in that version, Brian Bullen actually, you know, acknowledges the fact that the op- the ending was intentionally left open ended, and that and hints with a pretty big wink that, hey, we we there was you're supposed to take away from this that Batman probably killed the Joker, um, and you know Grant Morrison, you know, once Grant Morrison lays out his reasoning, you're like, well, of course, of course that's what it is. And why else would Batman start laughing if not to, and you even tie it to the beginning. He goes in to the prison and talks, you know, who he thinks is a Joker. It turns out to not be, but he sits down right. across from the Joker going, I at least had to try. I had to try to talk to you once because yeah. one of us is going to kill the other. And he says it right there. He's like, this is going to end. And one of us is going to kill the other. And that there won't, there won't be any coming back from it. And like he lays it out there. They they foreshadow it very explicitly. So then at the very yeah. end when he starts laughing, you almost you take that as it's horrifying because you're like, oh my god, Batman, it's like a person who's just like lost who's just lost it. They're like, I can't yeah, gone over the edge. And I'm just right. gonna I'm gonna sit here and laugh which, and which, give in and uh, which is just such a it's such a dumb story for them to tell in the movie. Like if your point is you haven't been to the edge. You don't know what's like if you fall over it, et cetera, et cetera. Like, and then neither one of them really does. Yeah. I mean, I just it, it's you know maybe it's uh, expected or something for him to kill the Joker, but so I don't. I, plus, when you think of all the other just sort of technical problems, like getting Mark Hamill back into it yeah. and stuff like that, why not kill him? Why not yeah. say yeah. that's the end of him in the in and feel like there's some resolution to it. Rather than leaving it with that stupid cutaway, you know, which was not—it was not like a Sopranos kind of amb- ambiguity. It didn't just like go black on them yeah. laughing. It's yeah. like the camera literally just pans down to their feet as they're both laughing, and the puddle of rain or whatever. There's no, you know, it doesn't like it doesn't like turn into a black screen to leave you wondering. But does what the happened. Joker? But see, in the book, that same thing happens, but then the laughing stops, and you see the puddle. No, they're they're just laughing. And you hear Both the sirens, it's haunting because you're like, shit, the, the laughing stopped. And all that's missing is like a, you know, a crick or something that, you know, shows that he snapped his neck. But his hands, I mean, his hands are reaching out towards his neck. Like, what no, else are you supposed to do? No hands reaching towards the Joker's neck. <sighs> it, that was almost like, and having not read it in a long time and not remembering it. Plus, so if we just talk, and then going back to the weakness of the Killing Joke story, like I said, it's been a long time since I read it. It's not fresh in my mind. I 
honestly kind of didn't remember the Joker backstory, the one bad day part of it. Okay. Um, so I don't know how much they elaborated there because I know at the, in the panel they talked about how amazing it was that Mark Hamill um, you know, had this different voice for the flashback Joker than mm-hmm. for present day. But to me, as a Batman fan, that that whole story, like I said, I don't, I don't remember how much of it is in you know the there original is, movie is, or, or the original book. There's a lot of it. it. It gets pretty detailed about you know all the you know how his wife leaves him and all these other things. Well, happen. now does now does Batman cause his turn into the Joker? Yes. By so the Joker is pulled into this uh, robbery by some other. He's desperate. Um, for money because his mm-hmm. wife is pregnant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the night before the robbery is to take place, or actually the night of the robbery, he finds out that his wife is and 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 she is pregnant with his child. That they've been killed in some tragic accident, like a car wreck or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that happens in the in the book and the movie. Uh, what I assume was added for the movie because I don't think this was in the book is that they make him be they make him put on the costume of the Red Hood. That's in the book. Oh, it is really. Yep. Yep. I don't remember that at all. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, so anyway, and then, then then they're in this chemical factory uh, to rob it or whatever. It's like the lamest ploy ever, uh, and the security guards are there, and Joker's like, oh, they, they weren't here the last time I had. I, I was here. Uh, they shoot the co-conspirators or arrest them or chase them off or whatever. Batman shows up. Uh, Joker trips over the cape, falls into the chemical stuff, mm-hmm. turns into the Joker. Yep. Okay, so to me... The story of the Joker is not that, like, to me, the, the, the terrifying element of the Joker is not that he had a bad day and turned into the Joker. Like, psychopaths are born. They are not made, mm, you know? Interesting. Like, that is, that's a literal, uh, you know, like a diagnosis of psychopathy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, <laughs> one of them's running for president right now. And they're not... <laughs> uh, you know that is a thing from birth. That is that is just a it's just a thing. Four percent of the population are psychopaths, mm-hmm. and that is what makes it so terrifying. Is that Batman keeps thinking he can apply normal rules, and I'm talking about the scope, the arc of Batman, like sort of the the global history of Batman. Mm-hmm. The prop, the, the the what makes that that the Batman story in general interesting is that he thinks he can overcome this with sort of goodness and justice. Mm-hmm. And he can't because it yeah, is sort of yeah. inborn in the Joker. To me, that's the that's the whole conflict, is that Batman is stuck in this like existential problem of he's Sisyphus constantly putting the Joker Ooh. back in the asylum, thinking he can be oh reformed God, or locked up or I love that analogy. Something. Oh, it's so good. But he can't. It's such a like it, like to me the way that Batman frees himself from that is by actually killing the psychopath and realizing oh, like why weren't I, you writing this this is <laughs> oh this is so good like I I want you I would have gone to the panel to hear you like be like and this is how we approach it I'd be like yes this, oh yeah. yes this is fuck amazing. Alan Moore's story let me tell you what it should have been because to me that's to me is the really interesting psychology of Batman is that Batman has put this, that this arbitrary rule lens. about it's not an arbitrary rule about killing except that he applies it to a person to whom it can't be applied. Wow. And and to me, you can read the killing joke as well as see like the movie The Dark Knight and how he – you and I have talked about this before – how Heath Ledger's Joker tells several different stories about how he got the scars on his yeah. face. Yeah, yeah. And you can read the killing joke and see it as the Joker's telling you his backstory and he's full of shit. 
Yeah. Trying to tell Commissioner Gordon, I had one bad day and this is what it did to me. And he could be bullshitting him. Yeah. But in a movie, just the way it looked and the just the you know, the voice acting and having that other dimension to it, it's like it's like the way you you absorb it is no, this is the history of the Joker. This is canon. Yeah. Yeah, and it's that you know, just was what I, all of those mm-hmm. elements bothered me so much that it sounded I, like they took a really like uh, the Killing Joke was always an Elseworlds book. It was always kind of like a one shot, especially if you if you consider that he killed the Joker. It's you know it can only ever be the last Batman Joker story, um, and that probably you know I always hear the arguments they should never should have turned the Watchmen into a movie. Just it wasn't it was only ever meant to be a, a graphic novel. I disagree, but that's a whole other debate onto itself but it feels like this is even more so they should this should just not have been turned into this medium it should just been left as it was as something that just exists in the late 80s that we can always go back to but it doesn't need to be a movie in the same way that you know the dark knight returns was actually better in an animated movie form than it was on the page i will say and you can crucify me if if you'd like but that's (laughs) i I, you watch that dark knight returns it's great it is great there's a lot of stuff that you don't – it's packed with so much more that you don't get on the page that I was just like, I, you know. Well, and I I, I'll, I mean I can't qualify this enough. I've already said that. But my experience was related specifically to the anticipation of seeing this movie, feeling like it's going to be a big event, uh, and then hearing that panel – Stuff you know, I mean, I think Tara Strong, the the voice actress of Harley Quinn and and Batgirl in this movie, uh, Harley Quinn's not in it, but she does that in the animated series. Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, you know, she said like, "Oh, my favorite Batman stories are the dark ones." So even just hearing these things before you go into the movie, I'm thinking like, "Yeah, it's going to be grittier, it's going to be darker, it's going to tell a different story." Like, I, and then when it, you know, when the first panel comes up and it looks like Batman the animated series. I'm going, this does not connect to me. So, yeah. you know, and then so oh, I think I've sort of presented the whole, <laughs> my whole experience of it. <clears throat> it's, I'm sure it's possible to watch that in a different context and have a different takeaway. But uh, to me, it was just uh, like, it was, yeah, it was, it was just not, I mean, I want to say it was a, a miss, like as a swing and a miss, but that <laughs> does not seem <laughs> strong enough yeah. condemnation of it. Wow. Uh, it was just, really tone deaf and uh, you know and especially in this age of like where we've seen uh, rape stories be horribly told in Game of Thrones and you know uh, just point, other places yeah. it's like guys be aware of how these stories are being told in our culture yeah and and tell them uh, you know you've got to tell them in a different way than than they were told in 1988. You know, yeah, true, and not not that that justifies the way it was told then, but I mean, it's definitely an artifact of its time. Well, know? and if you're gonna do, if you're gonna translate it into a new medium, bring something to it that, and and they they'll argue, well, we did, and it's like, yeah, but bring something to it that expands it into a new context that you wouldn't have ever gotten from the graphic novel. To say, oh, she's, you know, like it seems like everything they did to, to Barbara only just doubled down on the fact that she's always just somebody who's being used she's just used as you know throughout the whole story she's just used and it's like well that that doesn't do anything new like why why adapt it if you're not going to give it a new life or a new form or you know do something to it that gives i mean again i go back to dark knight returns like that in the animated series like it had a there was a 
there was more they could add. There's more scenes. There's more dialogue. There was more you know, between the Batman Carrie Kelly relationship that was that worked really yeah. well, and you got to see. You know, it was more clear that the whole thing was like this giant opera where you know Batman's you know as he goes his his who he fights escalates until he's and you know ends up fighting God himself essentially in, in Superman. <laughs> you know, he starts off with like yeah. Two Face. Um, and then he ends up fighting like the gods themselves and conquers death. You know, it's like it becomes this giant operatic thing, and it, that becomes that was more apparent to me watching it than reading it. Um, yeah, I, I, um, uh, I, I, like I said, I think the Killing Joke is the third rail of Batman stories. They I never should have made it in the first place, so I don't yep. even want to pick it apart. Like how they could have done it better or yeah. something. No, they you nailed it. Never should have been adapted. I think that's just the way. That's that's the way. That's the way it is. That's the way to state my opinion. I follow a um. Some things will never change. Stories of rain. Oh my lord! You're going. You're going in the second into the next refrain. Bring it on. It's dangerous too because I'm going to start to to make the. Never mind. We've been doing this podcast for for a long. time. Well, here's what I'm going to suggest. I'm going to suggest we take this bit and make it because. A, a separate thing. Killing Joke comes out this week, I believe. So we could almost just make this a um, Killing separate Joke podcast. specifically, yeah, just episode. So I follow this YA novelist named Gwenda Bond, um, whom you should totally follow. She uh, has written several um, YA novels about Lois Lane as a teenager in high school, where Lois Lane is basically learning her her uh, tenacious reporter chops as kind of a teenage detective. So it has this great, like, Veronica Mars kind of spin on Lois Lane. Um, so you should definitely read those. But she tweeted out this week when she was reading the press about Killing Joke, you know, maybe when this comes out, we should talk about our favorite Batgirl stories mm. uh, loudly so that people can read really cool Batgirl stories. So I thought I, I would drop a couple on you, which are... <clears throat> um, uh, Batgirl Year One, the it, which it maybe is technically a trade paperback and not a graphic novel, is awesome. It is mm-hmm. such a good telling of Batgirl, where Robin is a very young Robin and helping her out sort of secretly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is it is so fun, and the art is so beautiful, and it's it's just such a great story. Like I definitely say. Grab Batgirl Year One and read a fun, lighthearted Batgirl story. Yeah. Um, uh, I loved the Batgirl of Burnside run that Cameron. I remember that. Yeah, you've talked and, about that. Uh, favorite uh, Babs Tar. I love Babs Tar's art, and um, so those first two volumes that are now trades, go get them. Like they're they're so good. One, I think the first one was just called Batgirl of Burnside, and then uh, I can't remember what volume two is. Um, those are really good, and they're really recent. <clears throat> I even liked, uh, before the New 52 came along, there was a great run where Stephanie Brown was Batgirl, and that was the only sort of other Batgirl that I really got into. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that one, Barbara Gordon, as the Oracle, was was her mentor. And it was that was such a very cool relationship to see with a grown-up Barbara Gordon. Um, and I, I just really liked that one as well. And... Uh, Boy, I wish I'm like racking my brain. I didn't write these down beforehand, but I think those are three great story arcs that you can go hunt down and really enjoy that will counteract Killing Joke. I'm going to so. give you one more too that you wouldn't expect. It is, and I forget if it's year four or year, I think it's year four, part, part way through year four. Yeah, in Injustice Gods Among Us, oh. um, there is, you know, or she as Oracle uh, plays a huge role, but at some point, 
spoilers, spoilers, uh, another character gives the ability, gives her the ability to have to, to use her legs again. Okay. And she basically comes back as Batgirl after being, you know, resigned to being Oracle for so long. And she kicks such major ass. It's so, it's like, you almost hear that Wonder Woman theme kick in when she shows up. You're just like, yes. You yeah. Know, it's, just, it's such a, such a powerful moment so well it's such a difficult thing too i think because um uh certain characters like that they work when they are stuck in a certain age and yeah. stuck is maybe a little too strong but but batgirl is a really cool uh, you know barbara gordon is such a really cool character and especially when you think of like the context of the times and and mm-hmm. you know when she was created uh that it was you can almost see it as she's playing into, you know, patriarchal tropes of the time where she's just a mousy librarian or whatever, but she's also um, upsetting those and deconstructing them because, yeah, she's a mousy librarian by day, and at night she's going out and kicking ass uh, with Batman and Robin. Mm-hmm. Um, and But that mousy librarian part leads to her being, you know, a really smart woman um, when it comes to technology and science and also a great detective, which is something that like uh, Robin was sort of trained to be a detective, but he was mm-hmm. naturally like an acrobat because mm-hmm. of his parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and Batgirl, you just felt like uh, she already had the detective thing in her blood, you know, because her dad's Commissioner Gordon, a uh, famous police detective, and she's a naturally, in, you know, uh, uh, inquisitive librarian type. So she's, you know, it's just, she's such a good like role model and cool character to fit into that macho club. Um, so I definitely, you know, it, it, I, I, as much as I like certain Oracle um, story arcs, uh, I love that Barbara Gordon of, of that age when she's in her twenties, um, you know, and young and, and kicking ass, and, and I guess that's why I'm, you know, Batgirl Burnside, I think, kind of took her back to that that era a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, yeah, I guess that's that's probably enough to talk about Batgirl. I like your idea that we do this as a standalone. So I'm Todd A., and he is Taylor Trask. And that's right. You can find us at toddandtaylor.com. I'm at HeyToddA on Twitter, and, and you are... At Taylor Trask on Twitter. <laughs>